0: Well, as Pete mentioned, we're going to be rounding out our conversation about I am Jesus and this idea that we, most of us here, have chosen to follow Jesus. And what we're trying to do is kind of backfill that to to get a greater understanding of who exactly it is that we've chosen to follow, who exactly it is that we've chosen to put our trust in. To, to know more about who he is and what he does. And as we tap into that, as we drill down, as we get greater revelation, that Jesus is the good shepherd and that Jesus is the life. And Jesus, the things that he said about himself, not, not, not what um, observers said about him, but actual declarations, revelation, things that he said, this is who I am. As we get that, we can access that. We can live following that, we can grab a hold of that. And especially going into 2014, my prayer is that we would be set up as individuals, as families, as a church to actually become all that God's called us to become and to do all that God's called us to do. In fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you're just about to pop your clogs, you know, you're know, you just about to end your days here on earth, how many of you would, would like to, in that moment, would like to, to think back on your life and and have not achieved anything have not made a difference in anything and have and have not left a legacy in anyone's lives how many would like that to be your obituary okay well, i'm glad nobody put their hands up for that well then let me ask you what i hope is something of a rhetorical question instead the alternative how many in those dying days how many of you would like to look back on your life and to be able to to say and to feel and to have this confidence that you've become who Jesus wanted you to become and you've done what Jesus wanted you to do. How many would actually love to be looking back with that sort of fulfillment and satisfaction? Brilliant. Well, this morning I posted on social media that we're going to share the key to how to achieve that. And I told our team members when we prayed together this morning, I actually don't I'm not a big fan of teaching the key or the five steps uh, because I don't see God as being entirely formulaic. I I think it sometimes kind of shrink wraps him down to this simplistic uh, God, which he's not necessarily. But I do this morning intend to, to share you the key, not a key, break my own rules and share the key to how you can look back on your life in your dying days, and be able to confidently know that you've become in your lifetime what Jesus called you to be, and that you've done in your lifetime what Jesus called you to do. So you ready for that? Yeah, yeah. Notepads ready? Tablets ready? Samsung phones ready? If that's your thing, Stewie? All right. Jesus, uh, one of the most well-known scenes of Jesus' life was actually one of his last scenes on this earth. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed by one of his closest followers, a guy named Judas. Jesus knew that he was going to be arrested. He was going to be tried. And though he was innocent, that he was going to be crucified, uh, put to death on a cross. He knew all that. Okay. It's one of the advantages of being God. You know everything. So he knew all that. And What he chose to do just before his arrest is he chose to gather his closest followers together and share a meal with them. We've we've come to know it as the last supper. Okay, he wanted to share a meal with them. And look, you think about this. You would do the same, I'm sure. But Jesus, he's gathering his closest followers, the people that he's been investing in for over three years. He's gathered them together. And this is his last dinner conversation with them. I think we can confidently assume that Jesus was pretty selective, pretty intentional, pretty strategic with what he chose to talk about that night. He wasn't just going to talk about the weather and the cricket score. He was actually going to drill into some pretty significant stuff and probably the most significant stuff he's ever said. Well, during this dinner conversation, one of the things that Jesus said to his followers is he said, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Talking in metaphors as he often did. But in that time they would have known grapes and grapevines. It would have been very much in the landscape that they lived in. I'm the vine. And you're the branches. When you're joined with me. And I with you. The relationship intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated you can't produce a thing. The harvest is sure to be abundant. How many of you would be up for an abundant harvest in your life? You think, yep, I'm in for that. Okay, half of you, good. Well, let me talk to you for the next 20 minutes. The rest of you, you can go to the toilet. A harvest of joy, a harvest of miracles, a harvest of salvation happening in the world around you, a harvest of of whatever is the gap between where you're at right now and the gap with what Jesus would actually have for your life. He promises that if we're joined with him and him with us, the relationship intimate, and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. The key, the key. To having an abundant harvest in our lives. The key, not a key, not one of three keys, the key is for you and I to be joined to the vine. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about how we do that because Jesus actually went on to describe how we do that. So I'm going to unpack that. But before I do, he put a couple of warnings in. In this exact same moment during the dinner conversation, he actually put up a couple of warnings. A couple of things that could actually short circuit, could actually circumvent you and I realizing this abundant harvest that he's actually guaranteed. A couple of warnings he put out there. The next thing he said, and this was one of the warnings, is he said, anyone who separates from me is dead wood gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. Let me show you this next picture. You see in the foreground there, and over to the right, branches. These are branches from a coffee plant, okay? One of God's greatest (laughs) horticultural creations, all right? The coffee plant. But this now, let me, I mean, sorry, forgive me for stating the obvious. It's not that I think you're stupid. I just wanted to go on record. These branches in the foreground and these branches off to the right, you've probably figured it out for yourself. They are no longer capable of producing coffee beans. You, you, you get it? I'm not pulling the shifty on you. you. You would agree with that just by looking, right? Think about this. They are no longer capable of producing coffee beans, despite the fact that that's what they were originally created for. So they no longer can fulfill their created potential. You understand that? They were designed, they were created, they were set up in this particular time and place to produce coffee beans, but they can't produce coffee beans for one very, 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 very simple reason. The reason is, is because they're no longer connected to the vine. See, Jesus said this very strongly. He said, unless you're connected to the vine, without me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, without me, you can do less. He said, without me, you can do nothing. This was strong. This is binary. This is black and white. But here's why. This is why that analogy is so important. These branches at this moment can't produce less coffee beans. The second they're cut off from the vine, that's it. They can produce No coffee beans, regardless of their original created purpose and regardless of their original capacity. So here's the first warning. Don't cut yourself off from the vine, thinking that cut off, you can still produce some fruit. Jesus was putting it out there, real clear, nothing. And then he issued another warning. In fact, he said this, I am the true vine. And my father is the farmer. And the implication of saying I'm the true vine, the implication, the inference is there must actually be false vines. So he didn't say I'm the only vine. He said I'm the true vine. Implication, there must be false vines. Well, what are some false vines? What might they look like? What might be some, some things that, that people are grafting themselves onto right now? Well, you know, I didn't have to think about this too long and too hard to think what, may, what are some of the false vines that our culture is actually grafting themselves onto these days. One of them is this insatiable appetite in in some people's worlds to climb the corporate and or social ladder. Looking to be promoted in your workplace is great. Looking to be more influential is great. But, But when that becomes the center focus of your... When that becomes your vine, the vine you're connected to above and beyond all other things we're cut off from the true vine and we're grafted onto the false vine. December 27th, two days ago, the news reports told us that our Aussies spent $1.9 billion in the shops, not throughout the Christmas period, on Boxing Day. Now, that doesn't include online purchases. Can I also just underline that? That's in-store on one day, $1.9 billion. Now, I'm not this, you people shouldn't shop and handcuff yourselves to the you know, garage so you never leave home. And uh, I'm not saying that. But look, guys, really, that just sounds a little bit excessive to me, $1.9 billion in one day. And by the way, the shops are still open. Still open and still very happy for you to part with your money. Kind of infuriates me if ever anyone tells me that the church is just after your money when I see those sorts of figures. I don't think it's the church that's just after your money. It seems to me that the retailers are just after your money. They're not trying to spread joy and happiness and goodwill on earth and peace to all men and lead you into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Jesus. And again, I'm not poo-pooing shops. I'm actually talking about the vine that some people have grafted themselves onto. The retailers can't make you spend that. And I think, well, what if, so that we don't come across as, you know, bar humbug, Boxing Day is evil. What if we just said, what if just 10% of that spending on that one day in Australia went to the local church? You know, good churches around Australia. That's $200 million. Aussies would have still had 1.7 to play with. Still quite a fair amount of money, Carlene, $1.7 billion to spend in a day. Can't even imagine it. So I thought, yeah, you know, churches that are currently growing and outgrowing their facilities or maybe portable, uh, having to set up for hours in advance at local high schools and primary schools could actually build a building that could accommodate their growth And allow them to drop anchor in their community. That would be fantastic. Some of that $200 million could go to that. Some churches need some more paid staff to leverage future growth and to actually seed things in advance. Some of that $200 million could go to that. But instead it goes to bigger LCD TVs and new socks and jocks. And God knows what else. Maybe we just take another 10%. You know, don't want to be greedy. Don't want to be bah humbug boxing day. But you know... Take another 10%, still leaves Aussies $1.5 billion to spend in a day. Carleen, are we getting there? No, nope, still getting a bit too hard to imagine. Fair enough. $1.5 billion and we take, but we take another $200 million and uh, let's actually see if we can actually do some good in the world. One of the uh, social enterprises that we've connected with is an, is an organization called Sevenly, and without going into too much detail, although I, I've shared about it before, this week they're funding uh, water clean water projects in Haiti. And uh, they posted this morning on social media, an incredibly confronting statistic that each day, 6,000 children each day, by the way, the same day that Aussies spent $1.9 billion on Boxing Day, each day 6,000 children die from drinking contaminated water. So what if we just took, we don't want to be greedy, but just took $200 million of the $1.9 billion And dug some wells in Haiti and other parts of the world. But that's the problem. Some people have grafted themselves onto this idea of of just climbing the ladder, consuming more. Some people have grafted themselves onto the false vine of addictive behavior, seeking peace, joy, fulfillment in things that are actually ultimately destructive. Some people have grafted themselves onto the false vine of selfishness and, and the love of comfort that I am number one, that it's all about me, that the National Australia Bank used to advertise for the most important person in the world, you. Well, I'm going to tell you in a moment, that's not quite how it's meant to work. The important thing to understand about false vines, there's there's a principle that God established. It's called the principle of the harvest or the law of the harvest. Sometimes it might be called the law of sowing and reaping. The law of the harvest, and it actually applies to each and every single area of our lives. It, it applies to our relationships. It applies to our health. It applies to our finances. It applies to uh, our, our work environment. It applies to agriculture. It applies to everything. The law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest, one way to actually explain it, is that everything produces after its own kind. If you want to, Harvest passion fruits, you have to plant a passion fruit tree. No good planting an avocado tree if what you want is passion fruits. Because passion fruit vines will produce passion fruits, they'll do it automatically. You just have to plant them and keep the branches connected to the vine. Everything in nature produces after its own kind. So, false vines do produce fruit. This is important for us to understand. All vines produce what they produce and they produce after their own kind. And that's why Jesus was so uh, explicit when he talked about the fact that he is the true vine and wants us to understand and and be on guard against false vines. We will still produce fruit in our lives if we graft ourselves onto false vines, but it will be false fruit. It won't be the true fruit that Jesus wants us to produce. You with me? The law of the harvest. Everything produces after its own kind. So only the true vine produces true fruit, the fruit that Jesus guaranteed we would produce in our lives if and only if we stay joined to him. So how do we stay joined? Well, I'm glad you asked. Did you ask? Very good. Correct? Correct. Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. He said, love one another the way I've loved you. Put your life on the line for your friends. This is completely in diametrically opposed to this self-centered, materialistic, consumeristic pattern of a false vine. He says, no, love one another the way I've loved you. Put your life on the line for your friends. This was in the exact same conversation, okay? This was kind of there was a few full stops and commas, but he's having this, you can read it about this, John chapter 15, go on your app or open your bible, you can read this for yourself. This is all part of one monologue that Jesus gave in these last moments, this final meal with his disciples. One of the ways you stay joined to me is by loving one another, the way I've loved you by putting your life on the line for your friends. In fact, on arrival to the meal, the meals I showed you before, they don't look like they look now. You come into Christmas lunch here. You know, I had Christmas lunch with the wogs uh, as we do every year. And, uh, you know, big, long... well, they just join tables together and cover them with multiple white tablecloths and, and, and everything's set. And each year, Louis' mom picks a, picks a color, a theme. You know, So this year was gold, so everything's got gold trimming. I think last year was red and the year before was blue and who can even remember. But the, no, back in those days, the, things weren't quite as manicured, weren't quite as sanitized as that. The, these These guys would walk into a meal like that. Having scuffed around in their in their open toed sandals on unpaved roads and uh, and they would sit ultimately on on cushions but you know on the floor and they would kind of recline maybe next to each other so it 's quite likely when you 're reclining that that you 're picking your food out of your plate with someone 's foot uh, or feet right next to you as you 're eating that would have just been normal back then, but you can appreciate that 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 It would be advantageous if at some point between arriving at the venue and reclining at the table that there was some sort of washing of feet, right? You'd appreciate if someone took the time to do that, wouldn't you? Get the And so, so there would be a basin uh, on arrival at some of these venues. There would be a basin of water, a bowl of water with a little jug, and, and you could wash your feet. So you'd wash your feet, and then you come in, and the, and the floor of the, of the venue is clean. So you could then go and recline and, and put your hoofs up next to someone else's face while you eat, and, and it wouldn't be quite so problematic, quite so socially unacceptable. And, uh, but in this case, before this meal... When Jesus' closest followers arrived, rather than letting them wash their own feet, Jesus actually, and it's a little kind of depiction of that, Jesus actually took the time to wash their feet for them. And in doing this, he was making, he was teaching them an object lesson. He was actually saying, guys, This is symbolic of what I want you to continue doing. This is how I want you to live. This is symbolic of how you love one another, that you wash one one another's feet, that you, this would not have been pleasant and there was no latex gloves to quickly slip on before you did it. This would have been ill, okay? Who knows what these guys would have trodden in you can think about it. It was an agricultural society. Wouldn't have been Mentos. And so the son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, rolled up his sleeves, took out the basin of water, and he washed their feet. And that's how he said, you can stay connected to me by loving one another as I have loved you. Now, here at Elevate, we don't run a program and event ministry model, okay? There's, there's, there's churches that do, and I'm not having a go at them. Each church has a unique calling and should have a unique approach to ministry. Here, we don't run an event and program-driven model. So So we are not expecting you guys to come out to the Monday night, this followed by the Tuesday night, this followed by the Wednesday morning, this followed by the Saturday afternoon, this followed by leading this, attending this, fixing this, running this. And we don't. And the the reason we have chosen to not run a program and event driven model is not because we're lazy. In fact, it can be encapsulated by this. And I read, read a blog post this week that the the heading of the blog post, it really got got my attention. The author of the blog post used the heading, I'm too busy doing ministry to do ministry. They actually then wrote, kind of like aired their um, oops moment, to the world via their blog post, that they realized that they had got so busy doing ministry that they were too busy to do ministry. This particular person had gotten home one evening and uh, their neighbor called and their neighbor was in an incredible situation, was in a very dire situation and reached out to this particular, the person that wrote the blog post, reached out to them to say, can, can you help me? I really need your help right now and this person said no i can't i've got to get to my church because we're running something there this evening but that's actually not uncommon and again i'm not having a go at those that run program and events what i'm saying to us is the idea of not being a program and event driven model isn't so that we've got more time to watch the cricket or the Big Bang Theory, or whatever uh, spins your propellers it 's to make sure that we 've got time to engage, to invest, and to invite unchurched and dechurched people to lead them into a transforming relationship with Jesus, not attending meetings, running programs, and events with the same people, for the same people, ending up exhausted and, and just running laps or running on the treadmill. Instead, to do this, to do what Jesus said, to be available, to lay down our lives for our friends, to love one another, not just one another church people, one another growing sphere of influence the way he loved them, to look for people to be available when our neighbors need us to wash their feet. And the second way that Jesus said we can stay joined is he said, do the things I've commanded you. That's how we stay joined. Those of you that are parents, have been parents, have been kids of parents, picture this. Johnny's room is pretty messy. Young teenager, kind of part of the job description. Very messy room. So you say, Johnny, son, I want you to go and clean your room. So Johnny, you know, as a good teenage boys done d- do, immediately dropped everything he was doing, put the game controller down, spun around, and sprinted into his room. And he was in there for about 45 minutes. 45 minutes later, he reappears. And you say, hey, Johnny, how'd you go? Did you clean your room? And Johnny goes, uh, well... Not exactly. Uh, w- what I did is, is I went onto Amazon and I, I ordered a book about how to clean your room. And, uh, and then um, and then I memorized what you said, the very words you spoke to me about room cleaning. I memorized them. I can recite them back to you, Dad. Okay, it's great, Johnny. Yeah, you, you ordered a book about room cleaning and, and you, and you memorized what I said, what I commanded you to do. But but did you clean your room? Well, dad, you know what? Not only did I order a book about room cleaning and not only did I uh, memorize what you said, what you commanded me to do, not, I actually snuck out ...of my room, via the window, I gathered some friends, we went to a local coffee shop... ...and we actually studied the real meaning of room cleaning. We studied the word in the original Greek and the original Hebrew. We studied, and the real word is cleanio in Greek, and it means to clean. And dad says, yeah, great. You order the book, you memorize my commands... You talked about them and studied them with your friends. Let me get back to the original question Did you clean your room? Now, I'm all all for reading books. I read a lot of books. I know a number of you read books about the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. I'm all for memorizing scripture. I memorize scripture and I know a number of you memorize scripture. I'm all for gathering together with, with, with friends and we run Elevate groups for that very purpose. And Louis and I lead one for that very purpose that we can actually talk and drill down into, the, into the, the meaning and the significance of what Jesus has commanded us to do. But all of that is so that we can be more effective in actually doing it. The memorizing, the reading, the discussing isn't going to get the job done. Bottom line, did you do what I asked you to do? And, by the way, the answer is simply yes or no. And so, here we stand, or sit. Hmm. The final live experience is Elevate Church in 2013. About to cross over into 2014. Before we do, you know what I thought? will be a great thing for each one of us, is to just take a moment right now and just consider, just you consider, is there anything, think back, 51 weeks, is there anything that God commanded you to do this year that you haven't actually got to yet? Or maybe you made a start but you've put it down, you, 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 you regressed. Just think about that for a moment. I'm not trying to name and shame, I'm not going to get you to stand up and you know confess your sins before the multitudes or anything. But, 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 I this, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity because it's actually possible that some of you have got some unfinished business in 2013 with God, things that he's commanded you to do. And you may have gone and bought a book about it. You may have memorized it. You may have talked about it with your Elevate group. But here we are, December 29, 2013. The question remains, did you do what Jesus commanded you to do? Maybe some of you, Jesus actually gave you a nudge to say, step up, become a co- contributor and join an Elevate team. And, and yet you're still on the bench. You haven't actually Taking your place on a team. Uh, in August this year, I'm about to out you, Hermana. In August this year, uh, the first Sunday of August, um, we, we, we spent a morning talking about the future uncovered, looking ahead, who we're becoming, what we're going to be doing as Elevate Church. And one of the things we talked we talk about are five Elevate Essentials. And one of them was to join an Elevate team. One of our champions, Uh, Hermana, you can also call her Herma or Hermie, and she doesn't mind. FYI, she was sitting, uh, probably where you're sitting now, actually, creatures of habit and all that. And uh, felt God give her a nudge. It's time to join a team. And uh, so she said to one of our team leaders, Sean, and I love this question too, by the way. Where do you need me to serve? I'll 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 do whatever. I mean, we've all got passions and gifts, but you know, I love just the heartbeat of people saying. At the outset, I'll do what you need. And um, Sean Espenlaub is uh, is probably he probably does more heavy lifting around here uh, than any of our team leaders. And it's not a competition, but uh, I think our team leaders would agree that Sean is just he's ridiculous. How much of a contributor he is, and um, he leads our operations team. And one of the things that he'd been doing is bookkeeping, our bookkeeping. Our bookkeeping, it takes you know, about four hours a week. Um, but there's it, no room for mistakes. So you have to sort of concentrate when you're doing it. Um, well, there are room for mistakes, just the government doesn't appreciate them. And uh, we don't like to make them. Um, and so he said to her, well, would you, would you be interested in me training you up to do our bookkeeping? And, uh, and you take that on. And she, she hadn't. Ever had any, any experience in bookkeeping. And we wouldn't just give the bookkeeping to anyone, by the way. You know, Pete's four-year-old son, Josiah. Yeah, I'll do it, sure. Humana <laughs> has a corporate background and she's a super smart lady. And so, uh, over the last few months, Sean's been actually teaching her and training her. And uh, as of next week, she's officially it. And, uh, and uh, you know, that all started on the first Sunday of August Here when I said that one of the things God might be calling you to do in our five elevator essentials is to join a team. And Hermana knew that God nudged her at that very moment. And that's just cascaded to the point where Sean's actually able to let go of that and, and be freed up to focus on other things. Is that something God's called you to do? Join a team. We, we've got plenty of opportunities and we can talk about where. We don't have an opportunity in our bookkeeping area anymore. We've got others, but that could be it. Maybe it's to lead an Elevate group. And we don't run Elevate groups in the first term, but come the second term of 014, maybe that's your next step, that God's actually nudged you this year and you didn't take that step up. Well, maybe it's next year. Maybe it's 2014 is the time to actually get that one right. Maybe it's to prioritize this, the gathering together as Elevate Church. Maybe that's a priority, that you have kind of not responded to. This year, and and again, I'm not. I'm not saying any of this to guilt you. I'm. I'm. I'm simply saying you. Think back. Is there anything that God this year has said to do, and you haven't done it, or you've done it, started it, but but step back. Um, Those of you who are parents of of uh, kids age 12 or less, uh, I can't encourage you strongly enough. To, to be here every single Sunday. Our kids' team will tell you, using simple mathematics, that they have a maximum of 52 hours a year with your kids. That's a maximum, right? One hour each Sunday for 52 weeks. Now, we figured, we fair enough, we say, okay, families sometimes, you know, take an annual leave, go away for a few weeks, all right. So, so fair enough, without any titch, 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 Maybe we've got 48 hours a year, a year, the equivalent of just two calendar days with your kids. But, you know, parents get sick, kids get sick. I know mums don't get sick. Kids get sick. So maybe there's a few other uh, weeks where it's not going to work. So, okay, maybe, maybe it's fair to say our, our kids team have maybe 40, 43 hours a year, 43 hours a year. Um, what we did this year is uh, we, set a, we set a bar. We decided we were going to actually invest a little bit extra into parents who have demonstrated a solid, above-average commitment to make sure their kids are in our Elevate Kids environment super consistently. And we've set that bar at 35 Sundays a year. And we, we, we can monitor that with our electronic check-in. And uh, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, we gave a, a gift, a book, great book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, uh, written by the, 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 the guy who designed the whole Think Orange approach, which is what we do in Elevate Kids. And we gave that to parents who had checked their kids in 35 Sundays or more. And uh, there was seven. We gave away seven books. I'd love it. We're going to do the same thing next year, different book. In fact, I think we might even use the book that you showed me on Boxing Day, Baden. Uh, those of you that are parents with kids age 12 or below, how about you set your course to get a book in December next year? Now, understand what I'm saying. It's not about the book. I know you can just go and buy the book yourself. What I'm saying is, this demonstrate this priority commitment to your kids. To make sure they are being exposed consistently like you know, it's the same thing. I say this often you don't take your kids to school one week on, one week off, three days on, two days off. You've got them there because you've got some dreams, some goals, some aspirations for their development, and you want to make sure they're that in that environment consistently. Guys, I'd say the same thing. It applies for adults. So make sure you're here consistently, and it applies to kids. And another part of that, that whole idea of why we would say and prioritize our live experiences is, is we're actually, we're trying to go on a journey together. And uh, we like to load up the vehicle and drive to the next destination from one week to the next on a journey together. And if you're not in, you're going to get left behind and that's not our heartbeat. That's not what we want podcasts are great and you can listen to all of our messages online but there's so much more than just gathering information if that was the case you don't have to be part of any church you can just listen to podcasts all the time but that's not what God's got for us it's not his best so I'm just asking, maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's an area of giving. Maybe things like showing the WestJet video and talking about a generous person devises generous plans. Maybe God has nudged you this year to actually step up in your giving and you haven't done it yet, or you did it, but you pulled back because you got a little bit uncomfortable. Again, I don't know. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but, but, but this, this is an opportunity. The last Sunday of the year of 2013, just ask that question. And if there's an answer, if there's, yeah, actually, yeah, there is something, or or it could be more than one thing too, by the way, that God called you to do this year that you either didn't do or you stopped doing, here's what you need to do. You need to ask God's forgiveness and then say, from today, I'm going to take that step. That's all. God's not going to lay down the guilt trip, convict you, do the titch, titch, titch thing throughout 2014. God's going to say, I'm glad we're getting this sorted. Now let's go. The very reason I called you to do that in 013, okay, maybe some of that opportunity's passed, but let's pick it up and let's run with it in 014 and and, and get in with me as the vine and you as the branches joined to me to achieve my purposes in your life and through your life. So what I want to do, the the second last thing I want to do right now, I gave you an opportunity just to think about what maybe some you know some of the, something or some of the things that God called you to do in 2013? For those of you that actually can remember, you know, I'm talking I'm talking something that you haven't yet done. You got the nudge, you haven't yet obeyed. I want to pray for you, but I actually want to pray for you in response to you committing, not just remembering, but actually committing to turn that around right now. To actually say to God right now, forgive me. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to do that. Sorry, I didn't. Oops. But I'm now going to do that. Forgive me. I'm going to do that. If that's you, you've thought of something. Could have been one of the examples I gave. It could be something else beyond that. I just give some examples. How about you stand right now? And by standing, you're, you're actually making a declaration to God of, of how serious you want to actually obey him. If he's asked you to clean your room and you haven't done it, just stand, and I'm going to pray for you. <clears throat> no judgment, I'm standing. Sorry, if you're wondering if, if, if I'm guilty of this same crime. Pretty sure we've all got something. I mean, unless we're all perfect, and we do exactly what good Jesus asks us to do, exactly how he does, and I don't think any one of us qualifies for that. But, hey, that's up to you. <coughs> It'd be good if we were. Life would be so much simpler if we were perfect. Peter Perfect. I grew up with a cartoon series that featured a guy who drove race cars, and his name was Peter Perfect. You remind me of him. Minus the race car, yeah. He drove a Subaru, though. It's pretty close. Great, guys. Well done. well done. And I say well done because when God asks us to do something, there's something on the other side of that. And by actually you taking this opportunity to say, oops, sorry, God, but I'm going to do it. You you and all the people who God intends to affect by this obedience, you're going to find out what that's all about. And you wouldn't find out unless you actually stood up and Decided to turn this thing around, which is very, very exciting. I'm looking forward, no kidding, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your stories in 2014 of what this turnaround has actually led to. Fantastic. It's really exciting. Really exciting. One of mine is actually lack of faith. Just so you know, you don't have to tell me what yours are, but one of mine is a lack of faith. There's been a few things God's called me to do this year. Uh, within my, my role leading Elevate Church that I've actually not done because they seem to be a little bit beyond my and our capacity. But we don't want to be a church that just runs fueled on just my or our capacity, right? So I'm standing up confessing to God that there's actually some things that we're going to be doing in 2014 that he wanted us to do in 2013. But because I dropped the ball, you didn't even know what they are and you didn't get the opportunity to step up and stretch your faith. So that's my confession to God this morning Whatever yours is I'm going to pray for you And I'm in on this prayer as well And I love it I love it Because God's got a reason That he asked you to do that He doesn't just want us running laps He's got a purpose in your life and through your life. Father, I thank you for those people standing right now who are, who are acknowledging, admitting that, that they know, that they realize, that they recognize there's something or some things that in 2013 you called them to do and they haven't done it. And, and rather than stand in the fear of condemnation and judgment, God, they're standing, knowing that you're a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of second chances, Lord. And that, and that standing this very morning, December 29, 2013, on the eve of the new year, God, that that we ask your forgiveness and we know that you are ready, willing, and able to forgive us. And we commit, we determine, we decide that this thing or these things, whatever it is or whatever they are, we will pick them up and we will do them. In 2014, to be used by you, trusting that what you call us to do, that you, in your strength, make us able to do. That we don't have to fear you, we don't have to fear inadequacy. We acknowledge our inadequacy and acknowledge that you, God, make the difference. You, God, bridge us up to our potential. That we don't want to be people that on our deathbed look back at a life of disobedience, of missed opportunities of things that you've asked us to do and we didn't do them, but instead that we can confidently and honestly, as best as we knew each day, each year, were people that obeyed you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well done, guys. You can grab your seat now. That's absolutely brilliant. One more question I've got for you just before we finish this morning. Maybe some of you, your next step, your decision is to actually follow Jesus to actually graft yourself onto the vine that is Jesus. You've never done that before. We want to give you that opportunity right here, right now, to make that decision, to say, you know what? I'm, I've been on my own. I need to actually graft myself onto the vine, the true vine that is Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never made that decision, just slip your hand up to say, just to acknowledge to me, but really more to acknowledge to God, I'm making that decision now. I'm making that decision to, to, to make you the source of my life, to make you the source of my strength, to put you in charge. You've never made that decision. Just slip your hand up now and then you can put it down. And we're going to pray. <clears throat> okay. 2014. You probably realize it's just about on us. You, if you're a, a, a blog curator, a news curator like I am, you'll be getting through on your iPads and so on articles about the best of 2013, the best apps, the best music, the best movies, the best blah, blah, blah. and there's a whole other kind of genre of things that are coming through right now. Is the whole how to make 2014 your best? Fill in the blank. And uh, I know some of you need some breakthrough in 2014. I know some of you need some in breakthrough in your employment situation. I need. No, I know some of you need some breakthrough in your relational situations. I need. Know some of you need some breakthrough in your health situations. I know some of you need some breakthrough in your financial situations. Our prayer, as the leaders here of Elevate Church, is that 2014 will be a breakthrough year. And. To fuel that And to really set that up and to, and to lay a solid foundation We're going to be teaching Starting next Sunday A five week conversation About what, what we call The new rules of resolution Here's a little preview For next week Time to make another New year's resolution Resolution res oh, Yeah, lose, lose is right why even bother this year? Every year, I tell myself I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to make some changes in my life. This year is going to be different. And every year, I feel like I'm in the exact same place I started last year. Change seems hopeless. Sound familiar? Unfortunately, we often face the beginning of a new year setting ourselves up for failure. We make a list of all the projects we're going to tackle, all the goals we want to achieve. We tell ourselves we're going to try harder this year. We start looking at what the world calls successful and talking about all the things that we would do. This is the way to approach it, right? Wrong. We need to reframe the way we approach change. This year, we're going to play by a new set of rules. Five facts that change the way we change. Welcome to the new rules of resolution. So next week, week one, fact number one we're going to be teaching on is that change is a process, not a project. So be here, bring someone Tell them that next week the coffee is going to be even better than this week. But I can tell you that this week's coffee is very, very nice. Brazilian Dolce, which means sweet. And it is, Neil. Have a great week, guys. Enjoy celebrating New Year with your family and friends. See you in 2014.